Welcome back to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. I say welcome back because I've been on the shelf for a few weeks with some medical issues. I'm sure you all missed me terribly, right? It is very good to be back. And nothing has changed in that Drilling Deep is the place where we talk about oil and we talk about diesel because oil needs to be drilled, and that's how we got our name. Our guest for this week is old friend David Rausch of KSM, and he's going to be here soon to talk about a whole lot of things, and that's because he can. David's knowledge is vast. We've had him here before on Drilling Deep. It's great to have him back. Even though it's been a few weeks since I was here to talk about oil, we can pretty much focus on what happened in the last week, because right now that focus is all on OPEC and the other oil oil exporters that go under the banner of OPEC+. Plus. Their leader is Russia. They've been putting additional oil supplies onto the market each month for the last three months and had done so earlier in the year as well. There is no doubt that that oil is needed as demand continues to climb while the world shakes off the economic impact of the pandemic. S&P Global Platts reported this week that those countries added more than half a million barrels per day of output in June. That is an enormous amount for one month. So when the group met virtually on Monday, The expectation was that they would vote to add more output in August and maybe some subsequent months as well. But they didn't do that because there is a dispute within the group that would seem like inside baseball to the listeners of Drilling Deep, but is very important to the members of OPEC. It involves what each country's base level production is. The primary dispute is between Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, and it is a big dispute. It resulted in the meeting just breaking up with nothing getting done. So There was no resolution and no plan to increase output. You know, there's a long history of oil markets collapsing after a failed OPEC meeting. The assumption always is that the members will then go home, produce as much as they can because there are no restraints and supply will overwhelm demand. But this one was different. This was a failed meeting that was supposed to increase production, not dial back on it. That made it very unique. And it's not like it's not like markets knew what to do in reaction At first, they rose, then they fell on Tuesday, which is the first day back after the July 4th holiday, day after the meeting broke up. Then they rose Thursday, in part because of a report that U.S. total petroleum inventories declined by a large amount last week. But please note that inventories of distillate, which includes diesel, actually rose. This is new territory. Every model shows the world needs more oil going forward through the rest of the year. It needs millions of barrels per day more oil. Remember that OPEC is a group that was created to deal with glut, and now it's dealing with the prospect of shortage. You think that this would be easy to fix, but then we're back to the inside baseball debates I mentioned. Those are serious issues within OPEC. There is a new proposal floating among the OPEC Plus members that would put more oil in the market and deal separately with the issues that scuttled this last meeting. The general consensus is that ultimately that oil will be added to the market. You may not think so, but OPEC is concerned about prices that get too high because ultimately it destroys demand. It opens up the road for new supplies. It opens up the road for alternative energy sources. So they don't like to see the oil markets get too out of hand. Luckily, we are at a place where the world needs more oil and there is spare capacity that can meet those needs. That hasn't always been the case. You think back to the middle of 2008, which was when the oil price hit its all-time high on July 3rd. The world did need more oil then, and there really wasn't the supply out there to fill that need. That supply can be provided now, and it needs to be there where there's going to be continued upward pressure on oil prices. One good thing for this audience 
Diesel is not rising faster than crude. In fact, it's been remarkably steady when you look at the spread between diesel and crude. So for now, keep your eye on crude prices. Diesel is likely to move along at the same pace. We are going to switch gears here now on Drilling Deep, and we're going to bring in our guest of the week. He needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. He's been here before. He's David Rausch, the president of KSM Transport Advisors. Every time I ask David what KSM does, the list gets a little longer. It gets more eclectic. And what's most important of what, what KSM does tends to be different a lot because KSM is involved in so many things. So that's why I like having David on as a guest here on Drilling Deep because he can talk about so many things going on out there in trucking. And here he is again. David, welcome back. John, thank you so much for having me. Look forward to um, chatting with you today. So I'll give you the first couple of minutes or first minute or so to describe KSM. Uh, sure. So KSM Transport Advisors is a consulting firm that helps truckload carriers primarily, but trucking companies uh, make more money. And we do that through various means. Uh, the most prevalent way we do that is helping uh over-the-road uh, truckload carriers understand and manage and engineer their freight networks to increase profitability. Okay. And um, right now must be a very nice time to try to maximize profitability given these rates. It, it's great because um, carriers have choices right now. And it's, it's, it's a little bit harder when in a down market when you don't have as many choices. Uh, but right now they have choices. And uh, what we do is we provide them with quantifiable information that they can use to make decisions about what freight they want to put on their trucks. With so many choices that the carriers have, are you finding that that's kind of bringing the shippers into line that they realize they need to be, if not necessarily getting an award for shipper of choice, at least the kind of shipper that every that carriers don't look going to go, oh, you want to stay away from that guy. He's terrible. Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely pressure on the carriers. Um, uh, I read an article a while ago, it was, uh, two years ago, actually, uh, in 2019, May 2019, called Where's My Freight? And it talked about kind of the shape shifting that uh, shippers do depending on the supply and demand relationship. And when uh, uh, capacity is short and demand is strong, uh, they tend to do things to... Uh, entice the carriers, talk about partnership and long-term and, you know, all those, all those kinds of things. And they do change their behaviors. Um, uh, hopefully they change them for good. And it's not just during uh, this time frame. Uh, one of our, our clients was telling me uh, just yesterday, we, we focus a lot on loading and unloading times and understanding where uh, uh, there's extra time built into to loads. And uh, they took our information and the, um, the shipper actually changed their shipping schedule to accommodate our, our client, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think one of the key points there is you, you like to think that they would change their behavior forever, but they tend not to. Even though it's more efficient, it doesn't, it doesn't really help them to be inefficient. You would think that having adopted policies, you hope that maybe who, who knows when the next freight downturn is going to be, but you hope those policies are still in place. But you kind of realize that they might not be. Yeah, they um, their prime the shipper's prime directive is to minimize cost while moving their freight. You know that that freight's no good at their manufacturing facility or their 
distribution center. It needs to get to a place where it can be monetized. Uh, but they want to do that at, at the lowest possible cost. I mean, that's 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 what they're about. That's what the um, traffic departments, transportation departments, logistics departments, supply chain departments, whatever you want to call them. I mean, that's that's their prime directive is to minimize cost and get everything picked up and delivered. Right. And of course, a lot of shippers have been saying in their earnings calls how much their shipping costs have risen. So they may be trying to minimize their shipping costs, but right now it's not working. The the forces the forces out there are just too large for them to overcome. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's a, a carrier's market right now. Uh I've been around this, as you know, for, for quite a while. And um one thing about an up market like this is that it always goes down. I've um talked with a number of, of, of people that are knowledgeable about the industry, a number of our clients. And, you know, they say, well, this time it feels different. And um, I, I'm not so sure I agree with that. Um, it seems like, yeah, it, it, it maybe is different. We have this driver thing that I'm sure, you know, you'll want to talk about at some point. Um, uh, there's high demand. The demand is high. Um, there's pent up consumer demand, the housing market's on fire. Uh, there's inventories that need to be replaced because of the broken supply chains from, from overseas. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that, that, that are holding up that demand side. Um, but you know, when the worm turns, the shippers are going to come and they're going to want to claw back some of that, that, that money. And, you know, that I will say to the, the, uh, carriers out there that have a high exposure to the spot market that you really need to start evaluating that and pulling back some of that exposure. I know the rates are are high um, and it's it's fun to haul you know really highly rated rated freight, but you need to plan for the long term, not just for what's going on right now. Yeah, you know one thing that might be different this time. Um, I know people say, oh, it's different this time. One thing that definitely is different is the existence of the drug and alcohol clearinghouse with, as we speak, 60,000 plus names in it. That doesn't sound like the kind of thing that's going to re- readily reverse itself. No, it's it's certainly not going to reverse itself. And um, I, I, for one, strongly believe in the National Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse. I think it's one of the greatest things that, that's happened. Um, it allows the carriers that have turned a blind eye to uh, their shippers to no longer uh, be able to to do that. I mean, to their to their drivers, turn a blind eye to their drivers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and it's just growing. I mean, it's sixty thousand drivers right now. Can you imagine that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I so, guess it opened, it opened up on January first of last year. So that's eighteen months, sixty thousand. I mean, I'm trying to do the math in my head real fast. Um, you know, you're talking about you know, about 14,000 a month, um, yep. no, 4,000 a month, excuse me. 4,000 a month, yeah. yeah. 4,000 a month divided by 30 days. I mean, that's that's well over 100 names going there every single day. Yeah. And um, there's a process to come out, but what, what I hear is happening and read is happening is that, you know, once their names get in there, they don't really do a lot to uh, come back out. They just either retire or, or find something different to do. Yeah, well, right now with the employment picture very good, you know, across the board, they can just go do something else where there is no drug and alcohol clearinghouse. Yeah, I saw a, um, a meme 
And it was a sign for going back to that song that you and I probably remember, and maybe some other people don't, but, you know, called Signs. And it says, um, the sign said, uh, help needed long-haired freaky people, please apply. Right. Yeah. You got to, you got to be, have a few years on you to remember that, but I saw that too. And I thought that was terrific. So anyway, look, let's make a switch here. Uh, some big news this week. You mentioned that you mostly work with truckload carriers, big truckload carrier, Night Swift, uh, bought uh, AAA Cooper or AAA Cooper. I'm not sure how, how they like to be referred to. And this is a really big move because, you know, uh, David, I'm not like you. I don't have years and years in trucking. But the one thing that I did learn is that there's truckload and there's LTL and they tend not to come together. And, and in fact, uh, you know, when you talk to LTL, if you get on an LTL earnings call, let's say, uh, they'll talk about in a, in a strong freight market, LTL freight spilling over into truckload, and that's a bad thing. And this is not going to spill over. This is going to be a separate unit within Night Swift. But I think that move caught a lot of people by surprise. What did you think of it? Uh, well, it was certainly a 5th of July surprise. Um, and that team at Night Swift is 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 really smart, so it's, it's hard to second guess them. Uh, I, I really think it's actually a great move. Uh, it gives them a, a strong growth opportunity and platform uh, through the regional LTL uh, that they can grow within the Night Swift uh, geographic footprint, which is you know national and international. Uh, I think there's have to be economies of scales on on uh, scale on both sides. Um, I think that as long as the LTLers and the truckloaders uh, respect each other. Uh, that that it's it's a really healthy thing. I mean, LTL is growing because of, of e-commerce uh, e and you know supply chains. Uh, they have better driver retention. Uh, it's cyclical, but the rate structure has less volatility than than on the on the truckload side. Uh, so I, I think it's it's a great move, uh, provided they don't just try to do an integration because the cultures are obviously significantly different. You know, one thing that they said in it was as far as drivers is that they saw now a career path where somebody could go from being a truckload carrier, truckload driver, to becoming an LTL driver. And of course, there are advantages to that. The LTL drivers do tend to get home, if not every single night, most nights. So it's very different in that sense. So um, is that is that the kind of career path that you've tended to see that people maybe start in truckload and they want to move to LTL because of some of those benefits? Uh, we actually work with a truckload carrier who is a part of a uh, large uh, LTL carrier. And uh, that is the career path um, that, that they have. Uh, the, the drivers that can do the LTL kind of rise to the cream of the truckload and moved onto the, um, to the, the LTL side where they, you know, they have a different, a different lifestyle, um, uh, higher compensation, but they work hard too. So, um, not every, not every driver can be an LTL driver. Right. Very different. Yeah. But let's change gears again also and ask you about diesel prices. Um, I know I think the first introduction I had to you, uh, was from our, uh, late colleague, Ben Murphy, our late friend Ben Murphy, who said, if you want to talk about diesel surcharges, talk to David Roush. Um, at, what point does, uh, at what point does diesel become a, a headwind? Uh, the price of it has probably, well, I know the price of crude since October has pretty much doubled, coming close to doubling. 
Uh, diesel's uh, maybe not doubled, but it's been a, a big rise. And yet, you know, when you talk, yeah, when you talk about the people in the uh, in the trucking industry, they really don't talk about it as being a real issue, which indicates that fuel surcharges are doing their job. But not every mile is ca- is covered by a fuel surcharge. No, it's 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 not. So when Gaddafi did his thing, going back to you know being old here, you remember Gaddafi back in the early nineties, and um, uh, fuel prices skyrocketed. I was in charge of pricing for a large truckload carrier, you know, and up to that point, diesel prices had been pretty consistent in the dollar fifteen, dollar twenty, dollar twenty five per gallon. Uh, range and then overnight they skyrocketed, and so everybody looked around and what do we do? What do we do? How do we cover this? And this is both shippers and carriers, by the way, at that at that point in time. And so they came up. We came up with this dollar twenty base um, and one penny uh, fuel surcharge increase for every five cent increase in the in the DOE. Uh, trucks got five miles per the gallon. That's where the the five cent or five uh, cent increase came came in, um, and that was a fair and bilateral system. Uh, fuel surcharge actually went negative several times in in my career back then, um, and that was the base of the, fu- the the fuel surcharge. Now, when you fast forward to, to, to today, I mean, you've got you've got so many different fuel surcharge types. I mean, you have Shipper standard fuel surcharge, pad specific fuel surcharge, breakthrough fuel, zero peg fuel, all in rates. I mean, and it's really hard, I think, for a carrier today to know what their uh, real position is as far as their uh, revenue stream from fuel surcharge uh, to uh, compared to their outflow for the increase in um, in uh, uh, fuel cost. <coughs> uh, we work with our clients to really separate those out and make sure that they're 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 clearly identified uh even like with a all-in broker rate we recommend to our carriers that they split that out based on a fuel surcharge an internal fuel surcharge uh for internal purposes for internal account accounting purposes so they can they can calculate that um i think truckers are for the most part uh, covered, but it's a, it's a pain point for sure at the individual carrier level. Maybe not at the industry level, but at the individual carrier level. When you say individual, do you mean like an independent owner operator? No, I just mean at a carrier level. I mean at at a trucking company. It's it's a it's you know it's a pain point because I don't think they really know, John. Yeah. Well, certainly, if nothing else, any deadhead miles aren't covered by a surcharge. So that's going to hurt. That, and, and um, you know, most companies are reporting dead, uh, deadhead miles as maybe, you know, 10, 11% of total miles. So that, that I mean, that's significant. It's 10% of your diesel bill is not covered by a surcharge. Yeah, that's, that's correct. And, um, you know, then you have out of route miles. I mean, there's, yeah. So, so I, I guess my answer is I'm not really totally sure there. I just know that, Carriers have mechanisms built into place to uh, mitigate that to the best of their advantage. Um, but it's really the shippers that are in charge of that because even if a carrier has his own, their own uh, fuel surcharge, for the most part, they part of the deal when you sign up with a carrier uh, shipper is you adopt for their loads, you adopt their fuel surcharge, the shipper's fuel surcharge. 
All right, we've, we've made reference here a couple of times to people doing things differently. Uh, when we come out of this great bull freight market, uh, are there any trends you're seeing that companies are adopting that you think are kind of permanent? You know, I listen to lots of conference calls of the publicly traded companies. They talk about, well, we're doing this differently. One thing I hear a lot is we're not chasing freight just for the sake of chasing freight. Um, it's got to be good. And, you know, you see it in some of their numbers. I've seen some of the, the companies with, you know, few, fewer miles driven, let's say, than a year ago, but they're actually more profitable. What other trends are you seeing out there that you think might be sticky? Might, uh, you know, if we talked a year from now, they'd still be in place. Well, one thing that's going to be sticky for sure is uh, driver pay. Uh, it's pretty hard to claw back driver pay. So um, all the increases that have been been given for carriers to attract drivers uh, during this uh strong demand, short capacity uh, cycle, uh, that pay is going to stay in place. So that that's for sure one thing. Um, I think, you know, you're talking about the freight network uh, in what you just discussed about, you know, not, not we call it trucking for fun. We have a saying trucking for fun is no fun. Um, and, you know, so the carriers that, that have a good, a good strategy for their network, uh, they're going to stick to that strategy and they're going to be, they're going to be more profitable as a result of that. Um, I'm trying to think, John, of other things. Maybe you can uh, try to help me out here with, with something else. Any, any, um, any technology changes that have really grabbed you that you think are going to be significant? You know, we keep waiting for the death of traditional brokerages all done, done at the hand of digital brokerages hasn't happened yet. How are the brokerage companies uh, hanging in there? I mean, they're doing well right now, and um, I mean they they thrive on um, volatility, and you know they have a they thrive on a you know buy sell uh, margin. So I know what the press says about the the digital brokerages. I'm not totally sure that I buy into that. I think for the there will be large digital brokerages, but. There will always be that kind of human factor um, that that's a part of you know the traditional brokerage model right now. I don't see that going away in the near future. All right. Well, we also don't want you to go away, David. We'd like to have you back because it's always great talking to you here on Drilling Deep. So I want to thank you for being our first guest back after my little uh, unforced respite uh, from Drilling Deep. So thanks and come again, David. John, it's always a pleasure. Really appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, chat with you today. So you have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the FreightCast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. I'm your host, John Kingston. You can find us on all the major platforms for podcasts. Please join us again.